Hey there, and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson, and today we have the pleasure of having dentists on our panel to discuss their experiences, their journey to general dentistry, and taking a deeper look into residency. Let's get started. Dr. Asia Brianne Wright is a new dentist currently enrolled in an AEGD program in Augusta, Georgia. She holds a BS in chemistry from West Virginia State University and a doctor of dental surgery from Meharry Medical College School of Dentistry. She enjoys the variety of procedures that being a general dentist allows her to perform, such as aesthetic procedures, endo, and implants. Next, we have Dr. Christine Koch, who was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. She attended college at Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, and graduated with a Bachelor of Science in 2014. She went on to attend Meharry Medical College, where she earned a Master of Health Science in 2015 and a Doctorate of Dental Surgery in 2019. She then attended the University of Mississippi Medical Center to complete an AEGD program and graduated in 2020. Currently, she is working in Huntsville, Alabama with a Heartland office. So let's give it up for our guests. Woo! <laughs> All right. And now to kick things off, when did you choose to pursue an AEGD and why? Okay, I guess I will start. Uh, so I actually decided to pursue a AEGD program my third year, around the time when I was starting to go into clinics, um, it was pretty much a decision that I had made just kind of based on talking to other people who had decided to do a residency after graduating dental school. And once I got a chance to get into the clinics and realized that I would want to have some more experience with certain procedures outside of what I knew I would probably get in dental school, that kind of solidified my decision to do AEGD. I would say it's pretty much the same timeline for me as well. Um, early, early third year, I got into the clinic and you just start to notice, you know, am I getting enough of these procedures? What does my patient pull entail? And what is my confidence level? And when you're at that stage and you start talking to some dentist, you hear the whole gamut. Some people will tell you doing a residency is a waste, just go out there and make the money. Um, but other people will be a little bit more real with you and like have you be a little bit more introspective. Um, what has your experience been this far? And if you were to go and treat a patient without an attending tomorrow, would you be ready? Um, and my answer to that was an absolute no. Um, so I started looking at AEGD programs um, and I did that based on like the lifestyle that I wanted to have. Um, I'm sure we'll probably be talking about AGDs versus GPR, but I knew like I, I want to go into something that's going to be practice, pra kind of like private practice. Um, and so that was when from that moment on, like I, I looked at my schools relatively early, the locations that I wanted to apply by middle of third year, I knew what I would be like, who I would be looking at when I started that application. 
And actually, Dr. Wright, um, that actually helps us lead us into our next question about the major difference between an AEGD program and a GPR. So for some of our listeners, they're trying to decide, you know, what is the major difference between the two? What's um, some advantages that some has over the other? So if we could talk more about that um, and providing more insight on the AEGD program. Yeah, of course. Um, so third-year student looking at you talk to people, recent graduates, and the biggest thing that I was hearing, and I don't know, Dr. Koch, if you would, if you heard the same things with us having gone to the same institution, um, was one, like the private practice feel in, that you get with AEGDs compared to um, a lot of GPR programs, they say, tend to be more surgical, have more time in the hospital, and more of those different rotations, whether it's internal medicine or in the OR. Um, and what I'm seeing now, because my institution that I'm at now has an AEGD program and a GPR program. And up until a few years ago, those two programs were combined. And since the split, um, it's been totally different. So at our institution, the GPR residents have multiple rotations. They cover the emergency clinic with the student dentist. They go into the OR. Um, they have, they're in the hospital more often than not. Um, we, the only rotations that we have, we do help them with like on call at the hospital, which was something that I, when I was looking at AGDs, I did not want to be on call. Um, but here at this program, we do have about four weeks throughout the whole year. Um, but we're large, we handle more aesthetic cases, um, surgery cases that we have freedom to choose them if we want to do them. But some cases, for example, if I have patients that need to go into the OR, I don't go into the OR. So those are cases that I do refer to, um, the GPR clinic. The main the main difference that I see is like with us that our program is more of an aesthetic aspect as opposed to the surgical aspect. Now that's not to say we still place our we still place our own implants. We still do IV conscious sedation. So we still do all of that, but we are able to say, okay, this is going to be a little bit more in depth. Um, kick it over to GPR. Yeah, very similar to what Dr. Wright said. Honestly, the biggest difference would be just fundamentally hospital-based versus a model that's more like private practice, just because um, most GPR programs tend to be based in a hospital location-wise, while AGD programs will be at schools or different clinic facilities. So you'll kind of get that private practice feel more. And very similar to her experience, my my residency program that I did did have AEGD and GPR, but we all had the exact same experiences. So although I was technically an AEGD resident, I still had hospital call. I still had to do OR rotations. Everything that they did, we had to do as well, except for we did a pediatric rotation while they did family medicine. So that was, you know, a good experience for me just because although I was a G AGD resident, I still kind of got a little bit of an idea of what hospital dentistry would look like. And if at any point I decided I wanted to do any type of OR experience, then I kind of had that under my belt to really just make a decision moving forward of whether I wanted to just do private practice strictly or have some hospital responsibilities. Yeah, and even going deeper into what it's like to be a resident, um, what is residency like uh, in an AEGD program, and what's the process like to get there? <laughs> okay, so uh, for me, um, I 
once I kind of decided the programs that I wanted to actually apply to, um, I went ahead and reached out to people that I knew that had either done the program or heard about the programs and then went ahead and applied. And for me, a lot of my decision was kind of based on location of the actual program. And then if I knew somebody who also went to the same school as me that did that program, because I feel like that makes a difference because everyone's dental school experience is different. So certain dental schools may be very strong in perio, but not very strong in endo or, you know, different areas might actually just be stronger or weaker, depending on what dental school you go to. So speaking to people who've had an experience like yours and went to the same dental school as yours would be able to tell you whether or not a specific program would kind of fill in the gaps of what you might have missed or not had a lot of experience with in dental school. Um, and so even with the application process, certain programs will be match and then others won't be. And that's also something to consider because with my experience, I applied to a little bit of both and I actually heard back from programs before match and had to kind of make a decision. Did I want to accept this or just wait until match and hope to get the programs that I ranked the highest with match? So that was also something that I kind of had to think about and consider um, when applying to programs. But I think for me, the biggest decision or the biggest factor that played a role in my decision was location and was, is this somewhere where a Meharian had gone and did they feel like it was worth the time, not just like a fifth year of dental school or just not worth the time? So, um, being in the thick of an AGD residency right now, when I would tr try and describe what it's like, it's like a weird Meharians here. So a lot of Meharians have like second year is like really tough. Um, second and third year, I would say would be like the hardest things, minus like the scramble to get everything done into fourth year that I really didn't get to experience due to COVID. Um, but it's like second year and third year all wrapped into one and you're, you're times 10. It's a, um, it's a very rewarding, but also overwhelming experience sometimes. Um, and my program is set up to be 80% clinical and 20% um, didactic. So we give lectures often. Um, each of us has like two or three lectures a month um, just within one of our courses. It's just within the AGD. And then we have an aesthetic course with the, G the GPR residents. Um, and a lot of what we have to do, a lot of our presentations kind of is what makes it time consuming because you get out of there and you think I'm going to be done with this. Um, for me, because I want to go into academia, that's what I was looking for. And that's part of what drew me to this program. But that is a little bit of an added stressor um, because a lot has to go into that. These aren't your basic, your basic preclinical operative presentations. It's a lot of looking at the research. Um, it's staying up to date on what the evidence says. That's different. Um, and making sure that all of our clinical decisions are backed by evidence. Because at any point of the time when we have a huddle or if I have a case, a treatment plan that's over X amount of dollars, I have to review that with my attending, uh, with my program director, and I have to be able to back what I'm saying or what I want to do. Um, so it's different in the aspect, like when you, you have a program director, you have an attending that's there, but you're making all the decisions and you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. Um, it's very different, but it is super rewarding. Now, as far as how, like, how, 
getting to an AGD program, I did like Dr. Cope look at location. Where could I see myself, my husband? Where could I like? Where could we be for another year? Um, could I be a little bit closer to family, and which is what I wanted by applying to schools and programs in Georgia. Um, I actually live now for the first time since high school. I live ten minutes from my older sister, which is great. Um, and I think that was a big thing for me. And for me, there, Maharian had not done this program yet. Um, so that was nervous. And I wish I would have had that opportunity. Um, and I think it kind of maybe make, I feel like I have a little bit more weight on my shoulders because now I'm like, I have to do well so that they won't disregard a Maharian that might come on, come through later on down the road. Um, I think it's a tough decision, especially when you're looking at the different types of programs and the different types of application cycles, whether they're passed or whether they're matched. I intentionally chose not to do a match program to apply to any match programs. I wanted, I wanted AGDs and I wanted pass because I wanted to know as soon as possible so that we could start as far as like family planning, where am I going to go? Um, so I wasn't able to make the decision like solely. It was tough though, even though I didn't have any match programs on my list, um, the program that I got accepted into was, this was my first interview and I had another interview lined up and I had what, two weeks, the interviews were four weeks apart. Within two weeks, I knew I was accepted and I had 48 hours to say, yes, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like an awkward feeling. Am I going to be making the wrong decision? Like, did I know from my interview process and talking to the residents, like, did I really get enough? Did I see enough to know this is where I want to be? And that's, that is tough, but I don't know if I would have, pref- if I would have preferred to go through the match process and have to rely on their algorithm to tell me like, this is where you're going and you're stuck here. Um, so it, I think it worked out for me. I was able to let my other like opportunity, you know, like I accepted a position, um, ended up knowing who they are, who someone else that I knew actually got offered an interview, like within hours of me declining. So that was really nice. Um, but I think I'm happy. Like I was the first person in my class to be able to say, I know where I'm going and then I could just relax for the rest of the year. It was great. Yeah. yeah. And I will say that is definitely the benefit with pass because you, you kind of know earlier. And so you can kind of just start planning and making decisions based on the information of this is where I'm going to be for the next year. And, you know, I, that was my thought process initially why I applied to pass programs, but Ultimately, I think the program that I really, really wanted to do was match. And so that, you know, even though I got accepted to certain programs with PASS, I still was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a chance and wait on match and see, you know, if it works out. And it did, thankfully. Um, But just kind of to answer your question, Taylor, about what was residency like. So for me, um, very similar to Dr. Wright's experience, you know, you have your attendings and you have people that are there that are there to support you, but they're not necessarily standing over your shoulder like they would in dental school. So you have a lot of responsibility. You have um, an opportunity to kind of make decisions based on what you've been taught and what you've been trained to do. And no one is necessarily going to tell you, well, this is what you have to do. This is the way you have to do it. Um, And we did have presentations that we had to do as well, but majority of my program was clinical. It was not, we didn't have to do a lot of presentations, which I liked because I was very much over presentations. (laughs) And um, so I was 100% good with just (laughs) doing clinical and just sticking with just seeing patients, doing hospital experiences. Um, 
And I will say, I think what made it, I guess, more stressful than actually being in dental school was the responsibility. You know, you feel like in dental school, every little thing that you do, you're asking for permission to do it, or someone is kind of there to tell you, okay, this is what you do next, next, this is what you can do today, this is what you won't do today. But in residency, it's very much within your own power to make the decision of treatment and what you feel comfortable doing and what you may not want to do. So, and I feel like that helped a lot as far as just being a bridge from dental school to private practice or to working because it's just enough responsibility without the total responsibility of being at an actual office working, your license is on the line, you know, just there's a lot more at stake once you go into the actual working field while residency is still a little bit more comfortable to kind of make mistakes and get some help. So. So then Dr. Koch, even with um, being a graduate and everything like that, working in the um, field now, uh, what do you think was the best option for you post-residency going into a DSO? Well, having your Heartland background, if you could talk more about that, um, or maybe even one day going into sole private practice, um, or what about associateships? So if you could talk more about that experience. Sure. So... uh while I was in residency, you know, I was thinking, okay, what is the next move as far as working? And, you know, there's a lot of corporates. There's there's Aspen, there's Pacific, there's Heartland, you know, there's MB2. So even with my decision to go to, towards the direction of doing corporate was also based on talking to people who, like me, had similar experiences and decided to go in that direction. And as far as choosing, you know, Heartland specifically, um, my biggest, I guess, attraction to that, not just corporate, but to Heartland specifically, was that I feel like they do a great job at investing in their dentist as far as continuing education courses leadership training, all of that. And so it makes it a lot more comfortable working, knowing that you have so much support and so much is invested into you to continue growing and learning and expanding yourself as a dentist. Um, And so I think that working for corporate is has been a good experience for me, like I said, because the support is there, which is still something that you need as a new dentist. And specifically with Heartland, they have like mentorship programs where you're able to kind of be in contact with people who've been practicing dentistry for a while, who've gone through both private practice and have gone through corporate and are able to give you a good idea of what the differences are and kind of guide you as far as decisions to make and directions to go in. Um, I think private practice is a good option. It's just more responsibility. You know, with corporate, you kind of get to focus on the dental part of it. You don't really have to worry about the business part of it and all those other things that can be stressful to focus on as a new dentist trying to do the dentistry, but also trying to run a business. So they take care of the business part of it for you, which I feel really gives you an opportunity to just refine your your dental skills. Um, And associateships, I think, are fantastic. That was actually something that I was considering before I did corporate. 
But I think it's important to make sure that the dentist that you choose is a good match because what can end up happening with associateships is you learn from the person that you're working with. And if that person has limitations in their treatment, then you start having limitations in your treatment. And as a new dentist, you don't want to do that. You know, you want to kind of be in an environment where you're exposed to the newest and the greatest and the best in dentistry so that you can continue to grow. So I think that would probably just be one of the kind of, I guess, um, cons of doing an associateship. It's just, you have to make sure that your match is something that you know you will continue to grow as a, as a dentist. So that, I think that's just so crucial what you said about finding, like, if you're going to go into association, finding the right, like, the right partner or the right mentor in the practice that you're looking at. I personally um, am just now getting to the point where I'm starting to look for opportunities and I'm considering associateships and DSOs. But like Dr. Koch said, the type of dentistry that I want to do, ideally, if I if I were to have my own practice right now, I'd be looking for a fee-for-service practice where I'm not dealing with insurance and I'm doing aesthetic cases and implants and things of that nature. Um, however, how likely is it that I'm going to find that with someone that's already looking for looking for an associate? Um, and so when I talk to some dentists that are more seasoned and they're in this type of practice, they essentially say, you're, you're going to more than likely need to look for somebody who's not doing those things. Um, so that you can come in and you can be marketable and you bring that to their practice. But then you take that risk as a new dentist of not having that mentor. Um, ideally, it makes me more marketable if I can bring that to someone's practice who is not doing it. Um, but then all of that responsibility falls onto your shoulders. Um, so DSOs are very, you know, very appealing, um, especially as someone who doesn't want the responsibility of handling the overhead and the hiring and firing and the equipment and things of that nature. Um, it's just finding one that will allow me to do those things. Um, when you look at the, when you look at the variety of different ones and some of them are regional and you get into Texas where I'm interested in, and you have mint dentistry that's going against the Pacifics and the Heartlands and the Aspens. There are so many out there. I think it's just, we have to slowly take the time to make those pros and cons lists and just see what works. And then if you try something out, seeing if you can, if you have a contract, making sure that it's not a three-year contract, if it's not something that you know that you're interested in. So talking to your contract lawyers to go through bit by bit, line by line, to make sure that whatever you're signing up for, um, if it doesn't fit for you, that you're not going to be miserable and that you have a way out if possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then even digging into that business side of things, um, if you could rewind time and talk to your younger self, is there a piece of business or financial advice that you would have given or something that you uh, wish that you took part in more um, when you were in dental school? So best piece of advice that I could give a dental student right now, <laughs> take out as little loans as possible and live within your means. Um, now coming from a private institution and in a city with a higher cost of living, and when you look at all the other schools, it's not just Meharry, it's like there's schools all over the place that are like that. Imagine all the schools in California. Um, that can be hard to do, uh, but do your best. And even when you become a resident and even when you get your first job, live like you, like you lived when you were in dental school um, to, make everything, to make everything worth it because these loans, um, 
they're pretty, they're pretty big for some of us. I think some other advice I would say is take advantage. When you have all these lunch and learns and it might be different right now for code, but all these financial advisors want to come in and talk to you and they say, you can have a free 30 minute session. Take all of those sessions, every single one of them, whether you plan on hiring them or not, because they specialize in this. Um, This is what they do. And you can just soak in all that information and build upon that yourself. Um, But keep in mind that some of the things that they're going to offer you, especially when it comes to like, managing your loans and knowing your loan options, whether you're going to do income driven, income based, those are actually things that you don't need to pay them for. We all have loan services, whether it's Great Lakes, Namiat, they actually can help you go through all of those same things. And some of the things that we realized, because we had a little bit of extra time this spring talking to some of these financial advisors, they were actually telling us things that we were already managing on our own with our loan services. So just those couple of things, just managing your money, take out as little as you can and make sure that you're knowledgeable about your loan with your loan servicers and talking to these financial advisors. That'd be my main thing. And as far as a business from a business standpoint and practice management, some schools focus on practice management a little bit more than others. If your school is not strong on that, sign up for CE courses that talk to you about that. Um, Practice management, dealing with employees, coding, um, those are all very important. And if you're not getting it in your curriculum right now, start looking for some resources on your own. Take advantage of the AGD, um, some of these free memberships that you have as students that give you access to these webinars. Yeah, absolutely. 100% everything that Dr. Wright said. Um, I think a lot of times when we talk about student loans, it's just a stressful conversation just because most of us have an amount that seems very un. Uh, just a huge amount that's very stressful and overwhelming. Um, But there's little things that you can do to make sure that it's at least controlled, you know, just like she said, taking out as little as possible, living within or even a little bit below your means, just, you know, being very money conscious um, and spending the money that you have just wisely, I think would be probably the, the biggest and most significant amount of information that can be given to dental students as far as it relates to finances. And even once you graduate and you get out and start working, uh, whether it is with the DSO or private practice or associateship, because we don't get a lot of training or anything in the business aspect of it, you, you have to be intentional to kind of make sure you go and learn everything that you can so that you don't find yourself in a position where you're not where you want to be financially and you're regretting that you weren't proactive and trying to keep up with it and, and manage it. So, yeah. And I guess a a piece of non-financial advice that I would give to dental students um, is, you know, while you're in dental school, make a conscious effort to make relationships and connections with the people that are in school with you and classes above you or even behind you, just because, a lot of times, you you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so the only way sometimes is just speaking to people, talking to people, learning from the mistakes that others might have made who've come before you. Um, and so I think that, to me, is one of the best pieces of advice that I feel like I learned in dental school. Make relationships, build relationships, take advantage of the experiences of others so that these mistakes that others might have made, you may not necessarily have to make those same mistakes. 
Yeah, and that's actually a great piece of advice as far as making sure we build those relationships. Um, I know that even when Dr. Wright was uh, <laughs> a student and everything, um, and with her even being a, a recurring guest on this podcast um, and just building a relationship with her, I know I've definitely valued that over the years. Um, and I definitely look forward to building that relationship with you, Dr. Koch. <laughs> Um, but then even switching gears and everything, uh, Dr. Wright being a um, current grad uh, from Meharry and then Dr. Koch, when you graduated from your AEGD program um, this past spring, um, how exactly did COVID-19 impact the both of you all and that journey um, with you guys both being grads this year? Well, I know for me, uh, the biggest impact that it had was I was trying to find a job in the heart of the pandemic, which was extremely stressful. And it wasn't something that I, at the time, thought was going to be as difficult as it really was. Um, and so because I guess the world and the field of dentistry was in an uncertain place. A lot of places were not really trying to hire for any long term because they weren't sure if they were even going to be open or a lot of the offers that I was getting wasn't, were not like salary based. It was kind of like, well, we'll just pay you how much you work. But if the office is closed more than it's open, then that's not, a very attractive offer. So um, it was it was very stressful. It was very stressful. Um, and that's actually how I ended up in Huntsville because that wasn't the plan initially. Um, but I kind of had to go where the need was and go with an opportunity that was con- going to pay me consistently, regardless of what was going to happen with the office. Um, and so it was it was stressful for sure, um, and I can only imagine what it was like for the new grads, like Dr. Wright, going through all of that. But um, yeah, I just I think the the biggest impact was just trying to find a job when most people were losing their jobs. So <laughs> I cannot imagine having to be looking for a job at that time. You get, do you, I feel like you get to the point where you just have to follow the money because you have to support yourself. Oh, yeah. That's, well, being a student at the time, especially a senior student, it was, it was very stressful. Um, and I was my class president, which made it more stressful because you're we're constantly hounding the administration for answers that they don't know yet, that nobody in the country knew. CODA didn't know. The ADA didn't know. Um, it was just at a time where everybody was at a loss for words. It was, we had never seen this before in no, nobody's lifetime. Um, it was, it was a lot to deal with and trying to navigate that time and get what we needed and while still being like cognizant of the fact that like we are clinicians and this is, this is what we're signing up for. Um, and to be like self, as selfless as possible, wanting to finish, wanting to graduate, wanting to have those, all those celebrations, but just knowing that it wasn't safe for us at that time. Um, I would say the most disappointing thing as a senior student at this time was that as we phase out our treatment, a lot of our bigger things and our crowns and our bridges and all this, the fun things and the few aesthetic cases that we get to do, um, we couldn't get there. Um, a lot of my cases had to be passed down, which I hope is great for the current class 2021, but that was a bummer. And then it also was a, it continued to affect me 
as someone starting my residency because I went months without using my hands. I didn't touch a handpiece. I wouldn't even have a mirror and explore in my hand for three, four months. And we got into our program and we just saw emergencies for the first month and a half. Um, but then it was hitting the ground running where our previous residents had left off. And whereas we left off with phase three treatment, that's where they left off too. So we're immediately like molar endo and crown, this all needs to be done today. And then you have to place your implant, your third week of residency, your first implant, you have to sedate your first patient, start your first IV. Um, and it was, I think for a lot of the people, class of 2020, whether they're Meharians or some of my friends from other schools, it was kind of a damper on some of our confidence. And it really made us truly appreciate the fact that we made the choice, whether early on or whether during the COVID pandemic, people were able to find residency, residency positions. It made us really grateful to have that opportunity because it was at that moment that we just realized, a lot of us realized that we would not have been ready. Maybe six, now six months later, yeah, we, we probably could go out there and feel confident with what we were doing. But we really needed that time because COVID stole a lot of experience from us. So then even with that um, and moving forward to uh, some of my classmates even or just around the nation um, of people that are actually aspiring to be in both of you all shoes one day, um, what piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue an AEGD program? Well, I am 100% a supporter of doing residency, whether it's AEGD or GPR. You know, I just, I, I genuinely think that the time that you spend in dental school is not enough to get you to a place where you feel comfortable and confident and truly are going to provide the absolute best dentistry that you can do. Um, and like I mentioned before, I think it heavily depends on the program that you choose, because like I said, you don't want to be stuck in a fifth year of dental school to where you don't feel like you've gained anything from it. But if you take the time to choose a good program, I think it is absolutely beneficial. I think it is the perfect bridge from dental school to private practice. And once you get into private practice, you feel more confident. Your patients benefit from it because you have more experience, you have more training, you are more knowledgeable, so you can ultimately provide better service to the people that come and expect good service from you. So um, if there are people that are aspiring to do it, but just are not sure if it's worth the time or worth actually applying to or going through the process, I have zero regrets about doing it. And I think that it's something that I would, I would recommend for, for everyone, every dental student to actually do. I'm actually interested to see how COVID is going to affect like 2021, 2022, because when you look at it, I believe only one state right now requires a PGY one year. Um, but with all of these changes to the curriculum and all the dental schools trying to find ways to make things happen, I would be very surprised if more states don't start considering that. Um, that's just my personal opinion. But my recommendation would be for every third year right now, start building those relationships. Um, as our chief resident, I get emails probably every other week from interested students uh, that reach out to my program director and he connects them with me to answer their questions. And 
we know those names. So these are names that we're expecting to see later on down the road. That way you can start getting an idea of what does that program offer. And then you can turn around and ask the new residents next year when it's time for you to submit your application. So start early. Um, Dr. Koch alluded to like just having these conversations with your classmates and people above you, like networking never stops. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure that in order to make the best decision for you, you're not going to be able to find everything online on the websites or on student doctor network. You have to talk to people. And I've seen some programs have, are pretty open. If you reach out to them and ask to speak with their resident, there's typically a resident, whether it's chief or someone that's just super willing that will answer your questions. Um, outside of net networking to be prepared to apply to these programs, of course, starting your recommendation letters early, like pinpointing which, which faculty that you have good relationships and a good rapport with, um, identify them early and let them know what your plans are. Get some feedback from them. Um, your team leads, if, you, if your clinic is set up that way, talk to them because a lot of these programs are going to ask you what your strengths and weaknesses are in the clinic. Um, identify those, and if you can't, get some, get some feedback from them. Once you identify them, talk to those team leads and say, hey, this is what I think I need to work on. Can I get some added assistance with this case? Um, things of that nature. Because you look at it and you think, I have all of this time to apply and get ready. And then that application comes out at the beginning and you're hitting the ground running. And I think with your class, with 2022 especially, I think a lot more students are going to be realizing that this might be necessary because your clinical experience has changed. So I would recommend starting early. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wright, Dr. Koch, for being on the show. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I know our listeners will definitely uh, enjoy the information that you both gave today. Um, do you both have any closing remarks or an Instagram or any type of social media that uh, our listeners can find you? Yes, of course. First, thank you for having me on again. It's always an honor to be here and try and share a few pearls of wisdom. Um, definitely, I'm open to any questions. I do have a professional Instagram. It's a right underscore DDS. If you follow me, you'll see some posts from just some cases that I share from me and my co-residents on my page. Feel free to reach out um, if you have any questions, if you're interested in my program at Augusta University, or if you're just interested in AEGD or just cases that you see, don't hesitate, just send a message. Absolutely, and thank you, Taylor, as well for this opportunity. Um, I love being able to discuss my experience with people and, I'm sure Dr. Wright has enjoyed this as well, but you know, it's always, like I said, great to speak to people, network so that you can always have someone in your corner to help you along the way. Cause it is a lot to figure out and it can be overwhelming at times if you feel like you don't have a lot of support. Um, I don't know, Taylor, you have my number. So if anyone reaches out to you and actually wants to speak to me, I am more than willing, more than happy to actually discuss my program um, or my experience working now with Heartland as well um, with anybody who would who would want to know more. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap things up and transition into Taylor's takeaways. And today I would like to discuss ways we can approach going into the new 
year. So this year, um, your New Year's Eve, like all 2020 holidays, will likely look different. Um, You might be spending the evening watching New Year's movies or playing a New Year's game at home with your family rather than going out for a night on the town. Um, One way you can celebrate what's to come is to write out a few goals for 2021. But we know you've seen all of those resolution lists before. Um, The ones with all the complicated cleanses, the intense workout plans, the um, intention to do your best and make new healthy habits, all of those, right? But those tend to make you feel overwhelmed. And next thing you know, three weeks into January and you're ready to quit, you know. (laughs) Um, But change doesn't have to come all at once. So why not stick to the motto, progress, not perfection this year? Um, So yeah, that's progress, not perfection. And let's go ahead and pursue a few goals and some example resolutions that we can instill for the new year. Um, So the first thing, maybe trying something new each month, um, a new recipe, a new hairstyle, or even a new way for you to be involved with your family virtually. The next one is to support your local restaurants and businesses. So um, a lot of local businesses had to... uh, closed their doors from this past quarantine. And because they did take a huge hit for those local businesses that are still around and surviving, go ahead and look them up online and go ahead and support them. The next one is to pay off some debt with a spending fast. So it could be fasting from your takeout food for a month and only cooking at home or even fasting from expensive coffee drinks, you know what I mean, okay? Um, And looking at your budget and see what non-essential area seems to be eating up a big portion of your paycheck, refund check, any type of check that you have each month. So um, just get creative so you can see what you might be able to fast from um, to help you with your budget this year. And that's all I have for Taylor's takeaways. So happy new year, happy holidays, be safe and wear a mask. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show and be sure to give us a shout out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table.